What's up everybody, Ted Forbes here from The Art of Photography. And as promised in this video, we are going to talk about the high-end art market. And last week I did a video and we talked about how the gallery world works with photographers and a little bit of the way that's set up. And originally I was gonna talk about all this and I realized it was a lot because today's topic is very confusing. It's very complicated. I don't claim to understand the whole thing. And so the best thing I'm gonna do is give you I'm going to try to give you as neutral an overview as possible because this is controversial as well. Uh, this ties in with a show that I did a couple weeks ago on Richard Prince and it, that was a very controversial topic that a lot of blogs and a lot of people doing video work covered. Um, and it was controversial for a number of reasons, but it, I won't repeat everything that was in there. But what I saw people asking in a lot of the comments is one, you know, who is this guy? Why can, how come we've never heard of him? And two, who is buying this work and paying so much for it? And it occurred to me that a lot of people don't understand how the high-end art market works. And I'll admit, I didn't understand it. My first year at the Dallas Museum of Art, I started seeing how this worked. And I'm gonna warn you now that a lot of the information that I'm gonna give you here will challenge some of your core definitions of what art means to you. Because what we're doing is we're talking about how it starts selling for not just money, but big money. And this is a world that most artists don't know. I mean, this is the world of Andy Warhol, and this is the world of the best of the best. Well arguably the best of the best, but the most famous of the best, I think is a better way of putting it. And it is very complicated and it's also not talked about a lot. The media does not cover it um, unless there's a lawsuit or something fairly controversial like Richard Prince's story but they really don't cover it much in depth. However, I did look up some numbers and I've got some notes on this. Uh, I found an article on Bloomberg and this will blow your mind. Last year, the high-end art market was a $54 billion business. That is billion with a B, $54 billion business. And that's pretty significant. The US market was about 22% of that. It was the lion's share of that. And I wanna talk about what this is, who some of the players are, and hopefully make some sense out of this because it really is a world of investments is what it is. Uh, the art that you're gonna see here, and it includes both photography and more traditional mediums like painting or sculpture, um, whatever ends up being high-end. And these are works that are usually sold through high-end dealers to museums, or they could be sold through auction houses like Sotheby's or Christie's. Um, or even, you know, it comprises the art fairs that are really popular now, like Art Basel. And that's another big business unto itself. The art fairs make a ton of money just leasing those booths to dealers. I mean, that was in the billions last year. And so that's what you're dealing with. And it, compri it is comprised of both artists that are alive now and creating work, uh, artists, photographers, and as well as, and like I said last week when we talked about the gallery world, you also have playing in the same yard there, the vintage photography market, and it's the same with the art market. So for instance, a lot of these really high-end works that get sold for the millions and millions um, end up being works that are more nostalgic, historic legacy. So for instance, last year, one of the biggest works that sold was, uh, there was a triptych that was a Warhol piece that was prints that, of Elvis. And uh, that particular silkscreen sold for $81.9 million. So that's kind of what's being traded, but it's not just people who are deceased. Um, they're living artists like Gerhard Richter, Andres Gursky, um, Thomas Struth. There are a lot of people that are highly collected that get into this dollar figure. Now, who are the people buying this? Well, this is the weird thing because in the last few years, 
and it's been snowballing for a while now, um, art has become a viable investment opportunity for certain people. So if you figure people who have made their money in various industries, it might be oil business, it might be the construction business, but they've made a fortune and they're at a point in their careers and their lives where they want to start investing their money in something. Uh, most of us know the traditional ways you would invest money, which would be in something like the stock market in the US, or perhaps there's financial investments you could do. Um, there's venture capital where you can invest in startup businesses, but these are people that are looking for ways to invest some of their money to let it work for them. The art market has become part of this landscape in a big way. Um, art, I'm sure for a number of reasons, it is, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a certain thing about being in the art world that makes one look cultured. I'm sure that has a little bit to do with it. Some people genuinely like art. Um, I've, I've known collectors that I've worked with when I was in the museum world that were great people. They had interesting collections. It costs a lot of money to keep a collection. You have to uh, hire special people to move things. You have to hire conservators to keep up with work because sometimes it's very fragile, especially with modern art. And so anyway, these people have started investing and this is where it gets a little hard for people to understand sometimes, and it was part of what I struggled with, is that you think a collector would collect work because they love it. And actually, it's that may have something to do with it, but people collect work like they would invest in the stock market. So for instance, somebody who invests in stock would not invest in a company because they thought their logo was beautiful or that they liked the name of the company. They invest because they want to see a return on that investment one day completely understandable, but that's where it starts challenging what makes art special because all of a sudden it has a dollar value that's assigned to it that can go up or down depending on what the market's doing. So that's what makes it a little hard to understand for some people. So um, the whole idea is that if you're a collector, you would invest in an artist, you know, this is an extreme generalization, but maybe a living artist. So one day when they've passed away, um, it's, it increases in value and you could potentially sell it one day to either make room for other parts of your collection or to make money off of your investment. So that's essentially how it works. Now, where it starts to get a little hazy here is that you have to understand, unlike the stock market, the art market, which is big money, is unregulated. The stock market is regulated. So there's laws and rules around what you can and can't do that can result in criminal activity if you misuse those laws. The art market doesn't have any of that. And I'm not saying that collectors are bad people. Um, I think the vast majority of them, because they earned their wealth not by being stupid, they were very smart. Uh, a lot of people came from nothing and they do great business and they're doing it as an investment and most people are ethical. However, when you have an unregulated industry, and this is controversial because some people say regulate it, some people say don't, um, when you have an unregulated industry, it certainly opens the door for people who want to behave in a less than ethical fashion. And I'll give you a couple examples of where this becomes controversial. So in photography terms, um, in the 90s, there was a German collector by the name of Hans Grote and he was starting to collect work by living artists, living photographers, and he would get stuff at very low prices because he was promising that what he would do is as soon as the collection got to be a certain size is that he would build a museum to house the collection in and it would live on that way. And what happened was in the late 90s, the new school of German photography, so this includes people like Thomas Strutt, this includes Andres Gursky, this includes, uh, you know, that school of German photographers started getting hot. And what he did is he actually took a Gursky print, a very large print done in Paris, um, and sold it through Christie's when that market was at its peak and all that stuff had gotten very hot and collectible. And he sold the piece for, it was well over a half a million dollars US. It was actually 400 something, I didn't put that 
my notes. So I think it was 432,000 uh, pounds, which is a lot of money. And at that time, it set the record for the highest price ever paid for a photographic print. And that was a Gursky piece. And he set that record a couple times. You've probably heard his name before in doing that. But he's hot. He's part of this German aesthetic that was popular in the 90s, uh, still continues today. And it just that was an example of a market that got hot and a sale got hot. Now, here's the problem with that is that Grote had more than open opportunity to, I mean, it's his piece. He can do with it what he wants. So he was able to sell it. That's free market. The problem is, is that he was getting this work at a really low price, telling people he was going to build a museum, which he never did. And so you kind of start to wonder what the ethics are sometimes. And I know that it may be more than just black and white. And I don't know what his side of the story is. There's a lot of reasons why one doesn't actually build a museum. But when you make that your MO for collecting work and the way that you get lower prices on things, I think it becomes a question of ethics at that point. So that's one example. There was another example um, that actually was uh, around the same time, I think probably a little later, but there was a New York collector who bought an Andre Curtis print and he bought it from a dealer and paid $275,000 for this print. And it was a print from uh, Curtis's uh, Paris period, which is kind of known as being the most collectible, the most rare. And a couple of years later, the estate came out and said that they'd cataloged all the work and that actually wasn't from that period at all. So the guy immediately sued the dealer who sold it to him, and then this whole thing ensued. It got caught up in the courts. Now, this is not a criminal lawsuit. This is just a civil, I'm suing you because you were misleading. And an agreement was reached, but it was a no-speak on both sides, so nobody ever really knew what happened to it. But that's the that's one of the things about it is that, that there's no pricing structure to this market. Um, if, if you feel like you can get $8,000 million, whatever is astronomical, and somebody's willing to pay that, then so be it. And the problem is, is that you have a lot of dealers who line up in this, and a lot of things get traded, and the price goes up. What's interesting is the artists aren't ever really part of that on a direct level. So Gursky wasn't part of that sale. That was a piece he sold that somebody else resold to somebody else. And this is what can be very controversial that a lot of people who are artists can take issue with. You know, if a song is played on the radio, a royalty is paid. Um, artists aren't necessarily part of these sales. Um, and that's kind of, it's not cut and dry, but you, you can see the similarities and maybe some of the differences too. Now, this is true in the US, and there's, there's two concepts that are in play. There is the American first sale doctrine, which basically states that if you have something you've created, you can sell it once, and once somebody's purchased that, that's the only time you can make any money off that transaction or that sale. Whereas in Europe, it's a French word, it's the droit de suie, which basically means the right to follow. And in Europe, every time a piece gets sold or resold, the original creator gets some chunk of that. So that's a big difference between the way it works in Europe and the way it works in the US. And like I said, I am not an expert on this and I don't know enough of the details. So this is a very generalized way of, of looking at that. The, um, the first sale doctrine in the US was challenged back in 2012 in California court. And it was declared unconstitutional that you could continue to make money off of something you sold once. And you know, all these are legal opinions, of course, but you can start to see where the controversy in all this comes into play. Um, you know, there's a lot to this and you can certainly see how somebody like Richard Prince comes along and makes a career out of being controversial and shocking because he's competing against Warhol and other people and Prince sells for a lot of money. And it's his responsibility to try to keep his career on the upswing. Now, even though an American artist might not make resales when something gets popular like that, you, they do benefit from it in the sense that if they're hot, then the work that they're currently selling will increase in price too. So it's not like they're missing out completely on it. 
And this is where something gets really strange here, and I have a comparison to the stock market to make on this. Um, with the museum world, a lot of times, museums that deal in contemporary art will do what they call a mid-career retrospective for a living artist. When this happens, generally because it's a major exhibition that will travel and tour, the value of the work increases dramatically, and we've seen this over and over again. Typically, people who are on the board of trustees know about these in advance. The museum wants them to buy one of these pieces for a number of reasons. Hopefully, they will donate it to the museum. They will at least display it there, but they're getting a good deal by buying it early. If this happens in the stock market, boys and girls, this is known as insider trading, and one can go to jail for this. Martha Stewart had that happen a couple years ago. And so it's really difficult to kind of see how this works sometimes. I'm not saying that that's in the wrong. It happens all the time, but museums' hands aren't clean either. I'm curious to know what you guys think. This is a very controversial topic, and I'm happy to discuss this further. So please leave a comment and let me know what you guys think. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like it and share it with your friends. And as always, subscribe to The Art of Photography for more crazy controversy episodes like this one. This one's really kind of out there, and I'm not sure there's an easy answer for it. I have some more things I want to say, but I'm going to wait till another episode to do that. But I want to hear what you guys have to say first. Once again, guys, this has been another episode of The Art of Photography. See you guys in the next video. Later.